uh, from verses 1 through 3, is the honeymoon is over. Uh, Anybody that's been married for any length of time uh, knows that that is not a good sign if the honeymoon is over. A honeymoon, in the way we use the term, goes back to a, a man and a woman courting and the honeymoon is like the culmination of their romance. They just got married. It's the high time. And then they go into their marriage. And you don't want your honeymoon to ever be over. And uh, I will tell people, and, I, and they think, oh, Pastor, you're just, being, you're just bragging. Or you're just, is that my honeymoon's still going on? Because my wife is awesome. And, and we're still deeply in love. And I will say that with the church because a lot of times pastors will use the honeymoon period. That's a phrase I hear a lot among pastors. You know, they go to a church, and the first few years, there's always something about a newness of a relationship. And so when a pastor goes to a church, you know, the people are enamored, like, oh, we got a pastor, this is great, and then he's enamored with the people, and then, and then I'll hear a pastor say, well, the honeymoon lasted about two or three years. And, uh, you know, in other words, the problems come. And I will also say that it's been 30 years that I'm still on my honeymoon with our church because I still love you deeply. And uh, not that we haven't had problems, right? We've had some challenges. Uh, but, and I often liken it to my first relationship, the first church I pastored, which was three years of, of, um, of a challenge. And then I contrast it with 30 years here, which it, it's, it's like a honeymoon because... Real quickly, when I pastored those three years in Lancaster County, I don't know, maybe it's the people because I'm from Delaware County. I was born in Delaware County, raised in Chester County. And it was just the people. I just never quite felt at home there. And I realized later that the church that I was pastoring um, was not a church that God was going to bless because it was, I believe it was started by the wrong reasons. And so it was three of the most difficult years of my life up to that point. I'm 29. And I remember when I, we left that work, I, I told people I was gun shy. You know what that phrase is? In other words, when the opportunity came to start a church in Delaware County, which would end up being Bible Baptist Church, I remember being very hesitant because I'm, the last three years were really difficult and I'm thinking, do I want to go in with, do I want to do that again? And when we started the church, when we started the Bible study, when I jumped into the Bible study at the Kerr's house, we fell in love with the people. That's a relationship. And it has been just, it's been the difference of night and day. It's been a blessing. I believe that's because God's hand is on this work. And that the lamp, you know, that the lampstand is still, still Jesus is still in the midst. Not every church can say that. So, you know, the honeymoon is really not all because of me or because of you. And you are wonderful people. But it's because of Jesus Christ, isn't it? And so our challenge, folks, is to cultivate that. Now, let's go back now. Because Israel, God uses this picture of a relationship, a courtship. And, in fact, he uses the term, I believe, espousals. Yes, in verse 1. In fact, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. That's a phrase he's used several times already in chapter 1. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. 
the kindness of thy youth. And then here's the phrase, the love of thine espousals. When thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. So what is this? The kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou went after, after us me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Folks, he is talking about their, uh, their courtship, as it were, their romance, which would be really from the time they left Egypt to the time they landed at the bottom of Mount Sinai, where they would enter into their covenant. And he is looking back to that time. Now, if you and I think back to that time, I mean, you're talking about the wilderness wanderings, and you might remember, it's very natural to think about, wait a minute, when they left Egypt, it didn't take them long to start complaining. You remember that? One instance after another instance, they were murmuring and complaining that this wasn't right and that wasn't right. But I submit to you that, and the biggest charge today, and the charge as we go through the book of Jeremiah, the biggest charge, the biggest accusation against Israel was that they had apostatized. That was could not be said. They did. It's not that they had, you know, that everything was sweet in that relationship where they left Egypt and traveled in the wilderness up to Mount Sinai, because they did. They did have times where they doubted the Lord, but they didn't apostatize. They they were in a relationship with the Lord. They didn't go serving. It was only at Mount Sinai and after that when they began to worship false gods, and so. God looks back to this time with fond remembrance. Because even though they complained, He rescued them. He was their Savior time and time again. In fact, we saw in Jeremiah the word rescue over and over again, which would refer to that time of the Exodus. God rescued them many, many times. And they received that. And so now, God speaks through Jeremiah. And we want to look at Interesting thing about chapter 2 is, let me read to you from one work, a historical theological work on the uh, wording and the, the, vocabulary that, the vocabulary that is used in chapter 2. Uh, one writer, right, he puts this, the whole chapter has strong reminiscence of a legal form which was no, well known in the secular world the so-called rib pattern. So what happened, they believe that what we find in Jeremiah chapter 2 actually seems to be consistent with a legal document or a legal form back in the day, not just among Israel, but among all the nations. Whenever a king, in fact, let me just read to you uh, what would happen here. When a lesser king offended their overlords in some act of rebellion, the overlords sent a written message by the hands of a messenger. And several of those documents are extant. In other words, there's still documents from those days of this actual illegal form, which was a charge against some, by a king to someone under their authority. And it seems clear that there was a proper legal form in which to lay a charge against a rebel. And it followed a certain pattern. The shape was as follows. Number one, 
and appeal to the vassal to take heed, and a summons to the earth and sky to act as a witness. Number two, a series of questions, each of which carried an implied accusation. Number three, a recollection of past benefits bestowed on the vassal with some statement of the offenses by which he had broken his treaty. Uh, and then three is a reference to uh, specifically their uh, what was the betrayal. And then the last fifth, a declaration of culpability and a threat of judgment. So there was apparently all these forms have been found where a, a king would, would lay a charge against a rebel and it would always follow these patterns. And it seems that Jeremiah, God, was using this because it would have been very familiar with Israel. And they, were realized, they would realize God is calling them to task because of what had happened. Uh, and, and it all follows. If you just look at verse 3. In fact, go back if you're not there. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1 rather. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, Go, cry in the ear, ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. This is a call. Get their attention. Hear ye, hear ye. They were about ready to, to lay the charge. <clears throat> and then he says, I remember. So God is going back, much like a wife would say to her husband, I remember the days when you would look in my eyes and they would sparkle and your heart would melt. I could see it. And by the way, husbands, when you hear that, that's not a good sign, you know. That means you've got to start having the sparkle in the eye and going through all that stuff, you know. Uh, and, and, and be natural about it. But this is, what, this is what God was saying. I remember. I remember the good old days. I remember the kindness of thy youth. In other words, this whole relationship where, you know, the, he delivered them from Egypt in such a powerful way. And they were just awed at God. Wow! I would have loved to have seen those demonstrations, wouldn't you? The kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, engagements, weddings. This this was a romance. This is the way God looked at it. It's like, you loved me. And that meant something to God. What an amazing thing. God was was just like a wife loves and, and wants the affection of her husband, her adoring husband. In fact, I was reading, uh, you know, it's interesting. The whole Reformation time is just so fascinating. And as you know, I'm, I'm just, I love the, um, the time, the, the, the scenario that set up the, the uh, authorizing of the King James Version. There was the millenary petition. It was, it's, it's right in the heart of the Reformation. And the Anglican Church, the Church of England, split away from the Catholic Church less than 100 years before that. And there were several ministers within the Reformation that, and within the Anglican Church that were saying, you know what, we're still, we're still not separated enough from the Catholic Church. So they writ, wrote this millenary petition. They wanted to have a big meeting. And they wanted to lay down their grievances. And they had a, the millenary petition is still available. You can see it. And there's a list of things that they were very concerned about. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, I've mentioned before, a lot of them had to do with, you know, formalities and things that were still too high church and, you know, not based on the scriptures. Some of them were, uh, well, one of them that I remember was, there was a something in the, something in, in the wedding ceremony, it might have been part of the Book of Common Prayer, and there was a saying 
that was very controversial at that time. By the way, so what they did was they called what was called the Hampton Court Conference because the Hampton Court was a palace in England, still there today. That's where they had this big meeting. And from that is when uh, somebody suggested something and, and boom, the King James Version was born, the idea of it. But in that conference, the King, King James gave a long, long exhortation. Some say it was three hours long. Some say it was five hours long. So if you think I'm long-winded, please remember, okay? Hampton Court Conference. If I see people start yawning, and I'm not, you know, I'm not an hour three yet, I'm going to say, Hampton Court Conference. <laughs> and you remember King James preached, again, some said he went on for five hours. But one of the things that he, that he articulated, one of the things that was a big is- issue, was a saying in the wedding ceremony, that the reformers had a problem with. Some people had a problem with it. And it was in the wedding ceremony, there's a phrase where the husband would say, with, I do worship thee with my body, something like that, where the idea is that the husband professes his love for his wife, and there's a statement about, I worship you, whatever. And, you know, there's, there's some hardliners like, I have a problem with that, we need to get rid of that. And it was part of the wedding ceremony. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, wherever that came from, you know, it communicates that, that romance there that, you know, when you fall in love, it's an awesome thing. And God pledged, by entering into a covenant, God demonstrated that love to Israel as he brought them through the promised land. And so now, he brings these charges against them, this legal rib pattern, official legal document where he, says, he lays out the charges One of those charges is going back to recite the loyalty of the person that is being accused now of not being loyal. And so God again says, I remember thee, I remember the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Again, folks, that's that's the exodus. And again, though they grumbled and they murmured and they complained, they still depended and needed God and turned to Him. They were not looking to a false God. Up until, up until Aaron built that calf, they had not violated by, by turning to another God. They just complained. But they had not, again, been unfaithful in a marriage sense. And so, we look... At the challenge. And in fact, look again at verse 2. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Look at verse 3. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. Now that's a phrase that is found throughout Israel's history. In fact, the priests were... Holiness unto the Lord. This idea of holiness unto the Lord, the word holiness is to be separated unto something. And that's what Israel was. Israel was separated unto God. They were a unique nation that God had called. Just as Abraham, God said, I am going to choose you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. Israel was a very special nation. They were separated unto the Lord And the first fruits of his increase. 
Now there's a, some debate about this. What, what exactly is this referring to? Some believe it was specifically referring to the Levitical priesthood or the Levitical line that uh, the first fruits of Israel's giving would go to meet the needs of the, the Levites, the, the tribe of Levi. And that was one of the signs when Israel was faithful to the Lord. They would tithe. They would give their first fruits. And therefore that whole entire tribe of Levi, the priests and all those that served in the, the, tent, the tabernacle, all their needs would be met. And so a healthy priesthood and, and in the tribe of Levi getting their needs met was kind of a reflection of the fact that Israel was walking with the Lord. They were giving their first fruits. And some believe that it was just a reference to the fact that Israel was the first fruits. But this second statement, all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Now, part, again, part of this thinking is some believe that when they would take the first fruits and eat them for themselves, they would not tithe, they would not give, and, and therefore the, the entire tribe of Levi, the, the ministry would suffer, that God would, rep- would punish them. Some believe it was just a reference to God actually protecting the entire nation of Israel, and, and there certainly could be application to both of them. Definitely God had his hand on Israel. And this last statement, All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. We find that in the scriptures, that Israel had, God had his hand on Israel. And when, when he was going into the promised land, the people of Israel were going into the promised land, you betrayed Israel, you were going against God. And, and you just look at, we just look in the scriptures, this was clearly the, the, the God of Israel was the true God. And whether it's the showdown between the God of Israel and, and Baal on Mount Carmel, or when any of the other instances, clearly those nations that offended God, whether it be Ammonites, uh, all the different nations that would offend Israel, God would bring judgment upon them. And so that clearly is a reference to that. And now we have the challenge, which is, again, going back to the Revelation chapter 2. This picture of God looking at these people and saying, you know, really, it's, it's like a, it'd be like a, a broken, a broken-hearted relationship where somebody left, you left me. And God's saying that to Israel. And, he, and he's using this, the thine espousals, he's using that romance because who doesn't know when you fall in love with someone, have you ever fallen in love with someone and then had your heart broken? Have you ever, and I want to tell you, we were just talking about this recently. I forget with who, it doesn't matter. But, oh, I know, it was this morning. Marriage. Um, in fact, Charlie's going to be talking about this topic next Sunday, so make sure you're at Bible study. Um, and I was sharing that there was a preacher that came in one time to our church and just made a statement. And I sometimes, and there's a lot of evangelists that I dearly love, and really, but this one just made an offhanded statement. Um, and I don't think he meant to come across as harsh, but he kind of he kind of was dissing the people 
that have been divorced. And maybe none of you remember that. Maybe none of you have any idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but I remember cringing when, when he said that. And I remember thinking of, you know, the poor people, uh, and there's more and more today that have had broken, severed relationships. When I hear someone getting divorced, my heart immediately sympathizes. Immediately. And it, uh, there's no condemnation there. I mentioned to you some preachers this morning that uh, just have contempt for people they ought to have compassion for. And my heart goes out because God, and God's using this. He's using a severed human relationship, a broken marriage, to, to, because he wants to shake Israel and say, that's what we have here. You used to love me. You have forsaken me. You betrayed me. God has emotions. And he wants, to, he wants to get hold of us. Now listen, today, if you're not walking with the Lord, if you've gotten saved, and that you've been closer to the Lord, please understand. And don't see God as, you know, oh man, I'm really on dangerous ground. And there's some of this, you know, that I'm, I know I'm living my life dangerously because I'm not walking with the Lord. But please see God's heart. God's heart is, I want you to walk with me. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to communicate with me. I want you to, to, to appeal to me and pray. I want to lead you. But your sin has separated you between you and your God, Isaiah would say. And Eric Jeremiah's big challenge is for them to repent. And he's using this human relationship, this broken courtship, the broken love. And he's challenging them to come back to him. Now, if you're born again, you, it's not that you need to get saved again. You know, David, when he sinned grievously against God through Bathsheba, and then in, in Psalm 51, he confessed and got right. He didn't say, return to me my salvation. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And so, if you're born again, but you've strayed from the Lord... Come back to Him. Again, as we said this morning, He is the God of the second chance, third chance. He wants to have that relationship with you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Jeremiah, this charge from God, from You, to the people of Judah, the people of Israel, uh, through Jeremiah. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, see your messenger, this broken-hearted, weeping prophet, that we would go beyond the messenger and see the person that sent the message and your love for your people. And Father, that your desire today, uh, as we think of the church in Ephesus, of those going through the motions and, and, and doing church, as it were. They're coming to church. They're doing the services. They're doing all that. Uh, they're, they're embracing sound doctrine and repudiating false doctrine and they're enduring and they're, they're bearing up. They're not fainting, but they've lost their first love. And Father, that's your heart, your heart. Yes, all those other things are important that we need to worship you properly, but Father, you want us to be passionate about our personal walk with you so, Lord, help us to restore that if needed.
Help us to renew that or help us just to affirm that so that we would go strong and that this week, this day, this week, and 2022, that it would be a a year marked by the closest walk with you we've ever had. And we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, folks. Let's take our...